Just like that, the final hour is here on this Tuesday edition. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Coming up, we talk more college football with uh, Matt Zinitz, who is the On3 national college football writer for On3.com. Uh, plenty to dive into there. Chad, coming up in a, a few moments, we give our pleasant surprise, biggest disappointment prediction for the Big Ten. That's uh, in a matter of minutes. One of my, here's a tease for you. Okay. Coming down 47 seconds ago, nice, a story nice. that's going to derail my best surprise in the Big Ten. Really? That, that's a tease. Okay. That's all I'll say. First. Could derail, could derail see, my most pleasant surprise. Chad, that would be, you know how to uh, tease a, a topic, right? It's not good, Hutton. You could it's not good. certainly write a tease for a paper. Um, AI can't do that. AI sucks, and we pointed this out at yes, they one, do. one of my topics last week. Uh, the artificial intelligence and the, the computer-generated stories where it's insert high school football team name here. I chose Gannett because Gannett owns so many papers across the country. They own one right here in Music City. The Tennessean was running this crap because Gannett is using uh, AI-generated high school football recaps. What they're doing... Well, they're not doing it now because they're pausing this practice. Uh, and they're lying to you, by the way, in their description of what, what they're saying and why they're pausing it. Um, they want the perception that they're local. They want the perception that every day matters. They want the perception that as you see the headline of so-and-so school beats so-and-so school, that they're in your neighborhood, they're in your backyard, they have you covered. Because they doubt, by and large... You're going to click on that particular headline and read the story, but you'll see the headline as if they covered the event and they're all over the place across your area. And that's a flat-out lie. It's a bold-faced lie because they're using AI to write reports that are comical, that are uh, journalistically just awful. And and you go into a high school English class, and we could find students that could write better than the ad lib section of AI and the computer systems they're using here. But they're putting this on pause, Chad. This is a week after there was a screenshot of the Westerville North against Westerville Central High School game in Ohio. Uh, again, we pointed out it was Christ Presbyterian Academy that had a recap that was AI generated here in Tennessee. Uh, they are putting this on pause because they received so much backlash in regards to it. Here's the spokesperson that told Axios from Gannett that they're putting this on pause. In addition to adding hundreds of reporting jobs across the country, we are experimenting with automation and AI to build tools for our journalists and add content for our readers. We are continually evaluating vendors as we refine processes to ensure all the news and information we provide meets the highest journalistic standards. That's bullcrap. Whatever. The highest journalistic standards sound like this at Gannett. It's like our rundown each day. Just throw it to the side. Talk ball. With a human. Instead of whatever's written out, and then you hit enter, and it inserts the team name for what you're looking to promote which is just a lie it's a facade we're covering your community no you're not 
you're simply not. And the highest journalistic standards were shown. You, you don't buy into that based on the fact that you're allowing this print to go out, hoping no one would notice. And fortunately, someone did. And this wasn't just one paper that went viral. It was one paper, one screenshot. And then you can open up your paper. I doubt anyone does that anymore. Open up your laptop. Hopefully, you're unsubscribing. I, I, I subscribe to the model of if you're not getting what you say or what you're told that you're getting, unsubscribe. Don't go to a channel and subscribe. Unsubscribe. Because they're betting you'll never do that once you hit the subscribe button. And I'm guilty of that too. I need to be better at it. We all do. We're guilty of allowing Gannett and other companies to be lazy. And at least in this case, they're called out for it and they have to hit pause. And they're bragging about hiring more people while not hiring someone to actually look at the copy that's generated by a computer. And it's also... It puts employees in an uncomfortable position to um, support and promote the the product they're putting out yeah. in a disingenuous way. Because you know we know people who work for Gannett as an example, or anyone that's doing AI generated stories. And I, I see some of their coverage of high school football, even uh, locally. And everyone that's watching right now, I'm sure, has someone they follow locally for high school sports coverage or local sports coverage in some way. And I see them promoting their product overall, and I just almost I cringe because I'm thinking how difficult it must be to support this when you know what Hutton is talking about is happening with AI-generated stories and everything else fake that's going on. Fake, 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 left and right. It makes it hard for people to promote the platforms they're on when they don't believe in it. That's what I think when I see these AI stories in Gannett. Um, it just I, I think it puts some pretty good reporters and journalists in some very difficult spots to where they have to defend overall what's happening. And I think it's impossible to do. Well, and people that are actually want, human writers don't want to support well, it either. But human writers don't have names beside their product anymore, what they're producing. Companies now want puppets, and they just want someone reading off of a teleprompter that's pre-written for them instead of by the person reading it. I love being live every day because no one's going to write something in a script that I'm going to read off of a teleprompter into this camera or into this microphone each day, period. I'm not going to be told what I have to say. And in this case, this is just the bare bones crap that uh, lead AI. This is what they claim to be as a company, lead AI, that the Gannett is using. We write hundreds of unique news briefs in seconds and we publish them to your website automatically. We use thousands of human-written variations so your content never looks the same and reads beautifully. And if you read anything in Gannett that's written by Lead AI and Recaps, it's the same story, insert school name here. Um, as far as journalistic integrity goes, Gannett didn't even look into the company that they started to use with the Indy Star, with the Tennessean, or with the Columbus Dispatch. Matt McCloy is the only person I allow to write anything for me that I no, say on I mean, here. That's the only one. Again, it's, it's, more about, it's more about being a puppet. Do you have that script ready for me, Matt, and, for, and, this next, for this next segment? And having someone pull the strings instead of actually having a columnist in town. I, I, I miss the days of knowing the columnist in town that is going to give an honest reaction one side or the other you're opening up the paper to read their opinion and big take on the story of the week. Every two and a half days they had to produce something new and you know they're writing three columns a week that's just not the case anymore 
Now they just want three or four paragraphs and they throw three or four pages together in a hard copy print. And that's not on just newspapers. That is across media in general. Um, they're not spending money on journalism anymore. It's just time filler and clickbait. The, the local columnist is a bygone relic that I loved, that I wish would come back. The one that's trusted, that you know it's their gone. background, you know they've been around for a long time in that area. Uh, you trust their perspective even when you disagree with them. Boy, that is a relic from a bygone era that I really wish would, would come back. Um, they're, print, they're printing more letters to the editor than they are printing employees' opinions on something. Yeah. That's what they're doing. Now, I want to talk about another bygone era relic uh, that seems to have, been, have gone away. Parenting. I watch BS High on HBO, and there's a lot of talk about this documentary. I thought it was very well done, uh, very entertaining, while also makes you think about a lot of different facets of society and question different things. And that's what great documentaries do. They make you question. They make you think. And I think BS High about Bishop Sycamore, for those that don't know the story, a fake high school that came to prominence because somehow they got on ESPN and got boat raced by IMG Academy back in 2021. This is a behind-the-scenes look at Roy Johnson, this absolute criminal con man. Uh, you can try to make any excuses for him that you want. It's all hollow. The guy is a criminal, and he conned a bunch of kids and their parents, I guess, into going to a make-believe boarding school where they had no place to board and no school to attend. And I'm watching this the whole time, and they do have a couple of mothers of the players that are interviewed as part of this documentary. And I keep going back to, the, to this question. Where are the parents? Yeah. Where are a, the parents in this? Kids got duped, but I'm not seeing any parental guidance, control, questions being asked about if their kids are going to school or not and what's happening if they're trying to actually – people are helping them along with their dream of being a Division One college football player. It is sad. And don't give me this, well, it's underprivileged areas and single-parent I know plenty of great single parents out there. I'm not seeing a single parent in this whole story. And by single parent, I mean one parent with a brain that's actually asking questions about the wellness of their own child in decision-making. That's the pathetic thing about this whole documentary. Roy Johnson is a con man, criminal, all of those things. He is the bad guy of this story. That's my big takeaway. The kids are the unfortunate pawns in the whole story. But the reason that God made parents is to try to protect kids who were in high school of making bad decisions, not send them to a make-believe school and not double-check it before they see what's going on. Part of the scheme that was happening was Roy Johnson was forcing players to file for loans through payment plans during COVID, mm. where you were getting pay, uh, paycheck protection payments so they could pay him false tuition to attend what? Nothing. Just to play in football games and get a second chance to do that. The whole story is sad. The saddest part of this is, is parenting in America and our culture. I don't know if it's no longer cool to worry about your kids or to parent them or what's going on, but it's pathetic that I didn't see a single sane parent in this entire story. And I see these poor kids who are being duped 
into trying to live out their own dream of getting a college education on scholarship to go play football by this guy, Roy Johnson, and not one parent stood up to this guy or asked the proper questions about the well-being of their kid. Like, uh, to your point, just to further, like, just from a coverage standpoint, how does it not, how does it blow up and build to that moment well it's it's a it's crazy there's a lot of facets to this there were two guys who said the whole time this is fake this high school doesn't exist a guy who was an investigator for the ohio high school athletic association is interviewed as part of this and i've been saying this forever and no one wanted to cover this story But this was on espn right yes that's no one wanted to cover it until espn aired it yeah. Basically, they, they had the guy on. He's like a matchmaker for high school football teams across the country. And he just saw no, Bishop but, Sycamore and allowed them to be a part of it. But I, I'm saying, like, how does ESPN not realize what's going on? How do you select that game? I realize IMG Academy's yeah, the, it's a lot on of the people, other sideline. But there are plenty of games IMG Academy It's a lot of people plays. asleep at the wheel, just yeah. assuming that someone else did their due diligence on it. And they see this as, oh, look at their schedule. Because the guy who made their schedule basically was told, hey, they came to me and said, I want to have the toughest schedule in the country. And he just gave them the toughest schedule in the country. Other teams that have a hard time finding games that are really good, he he had them play against them. They played a game two days before the game on a Sunday on ESPN also. It's it's a crazy story. And I, I, I highly recommend it. HBO does a good job with most of their documentaries. Certainly their sports docs are always really good, really well produced. This is another one of them. But again, where are the parents? If that was just in my mind, in bright lights flashing the whole time, where are the parents? Where are the parents? The quarterback's mom was interviewed as part of this as one of the team moms. She was the trainer for their game against IMG Academy. They told Canton where the game was played. <laughs> yeah. They were going to have a training staff with them, and they were top-notch and this and that. And there's a guy who tears his ACL, and she's on the field in cut-off jean shorts, a bedazzled shirt that says, like, QB mom on it. Yeah, she'd be tailgating. And someone's going on there saying, do you have a medical staff trained to do this? And she says, I'm the trainer for this. And I'm thinking, why on earth? I don't know if there's a dad around or not. Don't care. You're the mother that's there. Do you not take your son off the field and say, yeah, we're not doing this anymore. He's coming home with me. I think they live in Texas, too, and they were allowing this to take place in Ohio. It's, I mean, again, a lot of parents asleep at the wheel. What do you have, Davey? Well, I was going to say to the point about how that game happened, yeah, ESPN should have done more diligence, but or do their due diligence, but nobody else in Ohio wanted to play IMG. And so that's how they somehow, after going down this long list... Um, yeah, but that doesn't mean ESPN has to air the game. No, but that, I, that, I think... That's my question. They it's were like, going to that area just for IMG, and this just happened to be IMG's opponent. Yeah, it, it was definitely... IMG was the TV part of it, but, I, I mean, it's crazy that the Ohio High School Athletic Association investigator is telling multiple media outlets and his own governing body they don't have a school. This isn't a school. Right. There's no evidence that they're a school, and yet they're still allowed to make a schedule and do all these other things. It gets into the weeds and a lot of this, but basically there's no rules preventing some of the things that happen because no one ever planned for the possibility of someone making a make-believe school. They just thought it's so far-fetched that why would anyone want to do that? So now they've had to put rules in place since then. So what happened to this guy, this coach? Oh, he's. He, I mean, 
I don't want to. Spo- I guess. Well, I guess I can spoil it. This whole documentary, he says, was a play by him to to start it again. He wants to have Bishop Sycamore come back and be an actual school. So the, he wants to be a, a an actual. Well, he says Bishop Sycamore's coming back. I'm getting funding now. We're going to do it again. Credit- We're well, going to run it back. Good luck. But he's a criminal. Yeah. Good luck with that. He beat up his girlfriend. He steals from Best Buy. Uh, he's a con man. That's the takeaway from it. And he's got a special where he's trying to run it back and actually. And in the end, he says, hey, thank you, HBO, for allowing me to get the word out. We're back. <laughs> We're coming back. Matt 2023. Z- Matt Zennis joins us when we come back. We talk all things college football. And then later, we dive into the Big Ten. We give our biggest surprise and biggest disappointment prediction next. Glad you're with us. Hot Mike with Under with Row across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Thursday night, we've got Florida and Utah. Uh, the home and home series. So uh, this ties into Georgia a bit. Georgia's schedule was supposed to include Oklahoma. And because they were starting the home and home, and Oklahoma's coming into the SEC next year, they didn't allow Georgia to host Oklahoma because it's a pay a, a payment deal where you have the return game, but it's going to be scheduled anyway based on the conference schedule. Compared to Texas and Bama, where they're wrapping up that trip here this year, where you got the Texas on the road against Bama at Tuscaloosa. So I, I love matchups like this because uh, when you first see it, it's one of the the least expected things you'll see. Florida in Utah, and then once you see it on the field like we did a year ago, you realize, oh, I, I needed this. I needed this matchup. And now I need it again on a Thursday night in Salt Lake City. Matt Zenitz joins us. He is the senior national college football writer, four on three. Matt, great to have you on the show, man. Hope things are well, and I know you're ready for football like we are. Well, first of all, I appreciate you guys having me on and definitely ready to get even more of actual football to talk about and to be able to get past this point of year where – projecting and speculating and all of that kind of stuff. So it'd be nice to be able to get to that point with even more teams around the country. Amen. What is the anticipation like for Florida and Utah coming up on Thursday night, knowing what we saw last year, knowing that Utah was expected to go on the road and win in the swamp. They did not. And now I think even less of, uh, of the amount of those predicting this game expect Florida to show up and beat Utah on the road how do you read this game? It's tough to get a great read on it, considering the uncertainty with Utah's quarterback situation. I don't know what your guys' expectation is with Cam Rising and just that quarterback deal as a whole, but it makes it more unpredictable from my standpoint than it would be if we had a great feel for just what's actually going on with Cam Rising and the quarterback position as a whole at, at Utah. The thing that I'll say with Florida is that I, I know not being projected to, to win the, the SEC by any means, uh, not being projected to, to be among the, the better teams in the East this year, but, but I can tell you that the, the, the feel within that program is that they are further along now entering year two than people outside that program probably give them credit for or realize at this point. We'll get a chance to see now whether they're on point with with feeling like that, but they do inside that program have more belief 
and Graham Mertz than probably people do that saw him play at Wisconsin the last couple of years. They they feel like they have one of the more underrated and better running back duos in the country with the combination of Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne. And again, just overall, they feel good about the the growth and progression during the course of the last year under Billy Napier. And this is obviously a great opportunity for them now to just show some of that progress. Well, and part of the, with anyone that coach that may be on the hot seat or not, the itchy trigger finger with the AD is going to come down to who's available. Uh, Like every year, if there's that big time coach that's out there, that could make it a little bit quicker for someone to try to get rid of the current coach and go to a new one. There's also always, Matt, and you wrote about this, up-and-coming assistant coaches across college football that are becoming hot names for possible head coaching jobs. Can you give us two or three of those names that you're hearing and you wrote about that could be the next big thing in college football? Yeah, I'll start with a completely obvious one. So this won't be groundbreaking to you guys whatsoever and probably to a lot of people that follow the sport closely, but Brian Hartline is an absolute stud and that that's no secret to the combination of of us or people in the administrator world. So for me, when it comes to, to lists like this, I, I try to be really thorough, try to gather a wide range of feedback from a, around the country. And I can tell you for this list specifically, talk to double digit people in the administrator world, a combination of ADs, a, other administrator sources a, around the country. And Brian Hartline, as I'm sure you guys can imagine, is a, a very popular guy in the administrator world and someone who has been on the radar already for power five opportunities, even going back to this past cycle. And I would expect that to continue moving forward. One of the the interesting names to go along with that, that probably outside of Brian Hartline was the the most popular name coming up while while working on this list was Alex Atkins at at Florida State. So Alex is somebody else who who has gotten head coach consideration in the past, has interviewed for jobs before. And the, the, the stock very clearly is on the rise for for him heading into this year at Florida state, where obviously they have a chance to do some big things in the ACC and on a national level this season. Matt Zinnitz with us on threes, national college football reporter, uh, talking all things week one kickoff, um, Georgia, Alabama, new quarterbacks. And, and that's just scratching the surface on the reload that's happening at the position across the Southeastern conference, Matt, which spot is most intriguing to you with the transfer coming in or the new guy that's now ascending to the starting role across the conference? So, so it cut out a little bit during, during your question. Do you, do you mind repeating that which, for me? Which situation is the most intriguing? It, and it can be Alabama or Georgia, but it can yeah. also be one of the transfers because we've seen a lot of change at that position. Yeah. So I, I think as a whole, the, the quarterback dynamic around the SEC is going to be interesting as hell heading into this year. Two two guys that, that are former transfers that, that are particularly intriguing to me are combination of Spencer Rattler, who I, I've continued to hear terrific, terrific things about coming out of South Carolina. Like I can tell you, there, there are big time expectations for him in, in Columbia, in, inside that building in South Carolina based on his play, continued progression during the course of the spring, fall camp. They, they are talking up Spencer Rattler big time and just how he has continued to look under the, the new offensive coordinator there, Dow Loggins. And, and I would say to go along with that, another former transfer that, that I think 
not not only am I interested to see how he looks on on Saturdays now, um, but I think a lot of people uh, around the country are probably very curious to see as well as Joe Milton at, at Tennessee. So we we got a taste a, a little bit the the end of last year of just the the step forward that he's taken since the the last time that we had seen him as a starter in 2021, where I obviously. And what's a nice way of saying it? It was very much flawed at that point to the yeah. to, to 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 the point that it was replaced by Hendon Hooker, obviously. But we we saw that the end of last year, including against Clemson, that he he was a, a better improved player c- compared to what he was in 2021. And Tennessee feels good about just the, the continued progress there during the course of the spring, and, and even just since the end of the spring, the additional step forward that he has now taken. During the course of the preseason, it was efficient, good in both of their scrimmages. It was continuing to to showcase just improved accuracy, anticipation, leadership ability, maturity, just across the board improvement in those areas. It was doing well even at points of the the preseason and in the first scrimmage, for example, where a few of his of his top receivers were out and probably one of the, the best compliments that they got about Joe just out of um, talk, talking to people on the Tennessee side was that, that he has become better at making the, the people around him better as a result of him being in there and just raising the level of play of, of his teammates when he's in there, which was something that was apparently clear during the course of that first scrimmage, for example, where, for, where, where a few of, those top receivers were out. Matt, who who's the quarterback that we don't talk about that everyone's about to know or learn about over the course of the start of the year? I think Billy Napier would want me to say Graham Mertz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't he know if that's the that. I'm going to go, but I that that's another one. I, I'm very very much intrigued to see what Graham Mertz actually looks like now, just based on some of that continued feedback that have gotten out of the the Florida camp and. I, I know they, they feel decent about how he's done during the offseason, and we're about to see whether that's justified or not. Probably one of the, the quarterbacks on a national level that I, I don't think it's anywhere near enough credit, pub, any of that kind of stuff right now that I expect to, to blow up this year is Cam Ward at, at Washington State. So. The, the Pac-12 obviously is loaded this year when it comes to quarterbacks with not only Caleb Williams, but Bo Nix, Michael, Michael Penix. Yeah, you have uh, big names like Shadur Sanders, DJU from Clemson. Just across the board, you, you have some big-name guys uh, around that conference, and, and it leads to somebody like Cam Ward getting overshadowed to a large degree and probably outside of that part of the country. I, a lot of people have no idea who the hell Cam Ward is, yeah. but I can tell you this, that that kid just even based on what he's done in the past, um, going back to when he was a, an award-winning player at the FCS level and, and even at different points last year, at Washington state flashed to, to the point that is on the radar for NFL scouts heading into this year and has draftable grades from, for example, the the scouting services that NFL teams use um, just to kind of get a baseline on guys heading into the year. And I, I'll just say this, uh, based on just what I've continued to hear about him and what he's looked like under the, their new star 27-year-old offensive coordinator, Ben Arbuckle, who was at Western Kentucky last year. It sounds like Cam Ward could be on the verge of big things this year. And even if people aren't talking about him right now, 
I, I think that has a I, I think there's a good chance that that changes at, at some point in the near future with, with Wisconsin, who they faced within the first couple of weeks of the season, being a, a big uh, showcase opportunity for for him, obviously. Well, you I'm not calling my words, and uh, Wisconsin will hold him to like 50 yards passing or, or something like that. No, he's going to be great. He's going to be great. I, I buy everything you're saying, Matt. <laughs> he's going to be terrific in that game. Don't, don't, don't backtrack. He's going to be awesome. Um, we all know about you know Florida-Utah we talked about. Matt, you talked about the return of excitement of actual games. We get them this week in, in week one. What are a couple of under-the-radar matchups maybe that not everyone is talking about that you're looking forward to this weekend? Yeah, I would say uh, Duke Clemson is one. So, so Clemson, I, I think that the last couple of years uh, ha- have been, if I remember correctly, my memory sucks sometimes now that I'm 37 and and, and over the hill. But if I remember correctly, the the last two years were Clemson's first back to back three loss seasons in more than a decade, like going back to 2010, 2011, and they, they have a ton of ability heading into this year. That there's reason for optimism, but but at the same time. Uh, Duke is a, a team that's kind of sneaky good. And one, one of the, the the positions that obviously it's always nice to, to be very good at is quarterback. And when we talk about underrated players around the country or quarterbacks specifically that deserve more attention, Duke has one of the, the top guys that would fall in that category with Riley Leonard, who when you, you look specifically at the, the NFL projection part of it, that is a kid who very, very much is on the radar for for NFL scouts. So I think Clemson is like a two touchdown favorite or something like that heading into to that game. But, but that's going to provide a, a nice gauge right away of Clemson. But because Duke, I, I know, d- doesn't have the the, the tradition for, from a football standpoint that the Clemson and some of the other teams around the ACC do. But they took a nice step forward last year under Mike Elko. Had a hell of a year one. And they, they have that quarterback that, that can make some things interesting for, for them this year and make them e- even more of a threat against some teams that maybe you wouldn't typically expect Duke to, to be a threat against. I'm eager to see Riley Leonard because I heard so much talk about Devin Leary at NC State last year. I bought into them. And then every big moment, they crapped the bed. Like I, they, you know, and, and I want to know if Leonard's that guy. If Leonard steps up in the big moments on the national stage Monday night, uh, I'm I'm sold, and I it, it, they, it's not if you lose, it's how you lose. I want to see Duke go toe to toe with Clemson. If that happens, I'll buy into the hype of what people are saying about Riley Leonard. It'll be a fun game, uh, Matt. Yeah. Looking forward to a fun season, man. Uh, great thoughts and perspective here. We appreciate the time. I, I appreciate you guys having me on, Matt Zinnitz. There, uh, the On Three Sports senior national reporter. Great site there. Nice spot also for Duke Clemson on Labor Day night. With no other real competition, Ryan Lee's calling that game. Oh, nice! Yeah, yeah. So he'll be he'll be he'll joining be, us. He'll be on with us uh, Thursday, right? Thursday, yeah. He'll be joining us Thursdays, and then he's he's got two games. He got a game on Saturday, and he flies to Atlanta. Really excited about that one. Uh, excited uh, a little bit about Penn State, West Virginia, one that we haven't talked a lot about. Also, um, that's a very important game for Neil Brown, who uh, most West yeah. Virginia fans are shocked he's not already fired. Not only is he on the hot seat, no one knows why he still has a job with a new AD at West Virginia. Um, excited about that. And then I mentioned it earlier, but not really under the radar. It is a primetime, I think, ESPN game. The UNC, South Carolina. South Carolina. 
on Saturday night from Charlotte uh, should be really good. See, I, and he mentioned Joe sold. Milton. I, I'm excited to see. I'll, I'll be at the game. Excited to see Joe Milton with a full offseason to prepare as the, the starting quarterback at Tennessee. Yes. So you're saying you're not under the radar, sneaky game. It, it's not Michigan, East Carolina. No. Oh. It didn't make my list. Jim Harbaugh won't be coaching in that game. Oh. He's suspended for three games. He's got some He's got some, some reaction to, to that next. Plus, we've got uh, some predictions for the Big Ten. Straight ahead. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Chad, the Notre Dame-Navy game averaged 3.8 million viewers on NBC. Consider the score. The average was 3.8 million. You know what that tells me, Hutton? Notre there Dame. is a thirst. A thirst, thirst for football. And the control and power of Notre Dame. Notre Dame's big on that, too. Did you see uh, Trey Wallace of OutKick posted it on, on X? Um, well but done. It was, yeah, finally got it. The Notre Dame fans walking through the streets of Dublin, walking to the game before kickoff, it was awesome. I mean, a sea of people in Notre Dame colors. That could have just been Irish people, too, walking through in <laughs> Ireland colors. But they were walking through the streets. And I mean, everything's you know shut down in the street. And they're walking these old streets of Dublin, and it is an amazing sea of people heading to the game. That is the way we all felt, having not had football for so long. We had been in, in the desert, we were thirsty for it, and we got it you on Saturday. You feel the, uh, the passion and pageantry. And then it was 42-3. It was time to tailgate and get to your game, too. And it was 42-3, to three and people, that, you know, second half, I don't just know if it'll be that score for, for Michigan and uh, ECU or not. Well, maybe so. Who knows? But you, I, I actually took a 30-minute nap on Saturday. Very proud of myself. Oh, During well the second half of Notre Dame-Navy, uh, I c- could not believe how excited I was for that game to start because I didn't and realize it, there was anything earlier. So I'm waiting around for 1.30. Had a softball game to coach at 8 a.m. So I was up at 6, went to the game. And then second half, you, you thought, you know what? My, my work here is done. I'm going to go lay down for 30 minutes. And I took a full-on 30-minute nap. Big for me. Jim Harbaugh says he doesn't know what he's going to do during the game of these first three of the schedule where they face uh, East Carolina. Um, who's the second opponent? Then Bowling Green. UNLV. Uh, UNLV, thank you. Those are the three that he'll miss. The uh, Michigan uh, making the decision to suspend Harbaugh three games for future penalty or hoping that that's lessened down the road. Uh, before he jumped into answering questions about the three-game suspension, Harbaugh spent the opening what was upwards of six minutes we've got a portion of it here uh trying to get his point across on name image likeness and yes he mentions revenue sharing all right we'll come back to that so we don't have audio on the video currently um chad he is discussing revenue share and getting the fair share for players he doesn't know why that it's not being mentioned more. He goes on to point out if it's all about, you know, fair and everything's out on the table and you get your piece, you get their piece. They, he's like, the players need to, I want to see the players get a piece of the pie considering all the money that's being made and all the money that's going to be pouring in on television contracts. That's how he opened his first presser of the season going into game week, uh, and he, again, he spoke on it for nearly five and a half, six minutes. That, and and he, he's one of only a handful of people that are mentioning the phrase revenue sharing for the future. Not many are daring to mention that. 
because they again they don't want revenue sharing they want something to have a cap they want a ceiling on where it is now and if it can go lower so be it if the federal government wants to come up with a law that caps it so be it he's looking for more of the the player reaction and that's been the discussion that no one's really willing to have. At least he's behind a podium. Well, it takes someone it. like him or Lane Kiffin that gives zero Fs to go up there and say what they think. Right. Because most coaches, you know, they, they want to coach ball and they don't want to get involved with anything going on the, on the business side and say things that are going to get them in trouble with their AD or their university because the con in all this is that the schools and the leagues and the NCAA, they don't want the athletes to have the money. Why? Because that takes money from them. Then suddenly they don't have as much profit if they're having a revenue share, complete revenue share with student athletes. So they don't want that. Jim Harbaugh comes along and he's secure enough. I don't think he would have cared even when he wasn't secure enough, when he wasn't beating Ohio State and his job was a little bit more in jeopardy. I don't think he would have cared then to say it. He certainly doesn't care now with all the success the program's had that he'll come right out and say what he believes. And what he believes is that the players should get a big piece of the pie and there should be revenue sharing with all the money that's pouring in to college football. So good for him for stating his honest opinion and not just ducking a question or not saying something because he's afraid he's going to get in trouble with the NCAA or an administrator. Yeah, and didn't even I don't even know if he was asked a question about it. I think he just opened with it. Yeah, he just wanted to talk about it. Yeah, good for him. Uh, He's willing to... he will be willing to speak more on this, just not now. Well, anything uh, also that hurts the NCAA, he's going to want to speak no, out exactly. on. That's exactly. That's a big part of that as well. Just not now, because now he's going into this three-game suspension. He's allowed to coach during the week. He just can't be there on game day. And he said, like, I'm, I'm kind of tired of this idea that it's a slap on the wrist that I'm suspended three games. He's pissed off about this. He does not want to be out of the three games. He went on to say, and I'm paraphrasing some of this, he hates missing games. Um, you know, he missed games in his career either because of a broken arm or a dislocated shoulder, but he compared missing the three games to start the season against ECU, UNLV, and Bowling Green as being uh, taking a, a, a baseball bat to the kneecap, you know, mafia style. It's like a mafia hit on, uh, on Jim Harbaugh. Now, I think we know it is more of a slap on the wrist than it is a baseball bat to the knees. Uh, baseball bat to the knees is what the NCAA... Uh, is looking into with Arizona State to the point where they're willing to just forego a bowl game that's possibly like the Sun Bowl or the Holiday Bowl uh, instead of allowing the the new coach along with the players that have bought in to actually compete and try to win six games and go to a postseason game. In this case, even with the negotiation with the NCAA, it was a slap on the wrist considering that they were negotiating with Harbaugh on what the penalty would be for just non, not cooperating, Chad. And here's Harbaugh saying, hey, uh, yeah, I don't want to sit out any games. I shouldn't be suspended. And he continues to go on and, and, and say, I, I'd love to say more, but I'm not going to. Just like he did at Big, 12, or Big Ten Media Days. I just love the description of bat to the kneecaps. That's the a good one hit. I, I want to yeah. use. Yeah, that's not, uh, not a slap in the face of bat to the kneecaps. And look, I mean, it, if you're a coach, it does feel that way. Like that, that's a big deal. Well, I mean, to us, we look the, at it on the outside and we say, these are three easy wins for Michigan. Here's how you know. Anyone Jack. could coach those games and wins. But if you are the coach, three, that's, that's a fourth of what, your season. He went, on to, right, he went on to say, hey, these three, game, these three teams we're playing combined for 19 wins a year ago. 
He's pointing that out. And then he would not say he's going to be watching the game. He said, I don't know where I'm going to be or what I'm going to be doing. He's like, my son, Jack, has a game later, I believe, during that day. I may go watch him play. Like it, He's standing there talking to the Michigan media saying, I may not even watch us play if I'm not going to be on the sideline coaching during the game. To be uh, More to be determined with Harbaugh. Because again, he sounds like a guy that's out after the season. To me. Just tone, referencing different things. Talking about revenue share. Well, you get that in the NFL. And, you know, the, the whole system with Michigan. He's not pleased with whatever Michigan's decided to do with the three-game suspension. Chad, uh, there will be some fan bases that like us and some who are not pleased with us based on these predictions. Uh, yep. Big Ten. Pleasant surprise. You want to start or me? Uh, I'll, uh, I'll start because mine is affected by some big news that just came down. Okay. I could have gone with an individual or a team here. I went with the team. My pleasant surprise is Nebraska. I, I think they're going to go 8-4. and four. Jeff Sims, the transfer from Georgia Tech at quarterback, really good playmaker, both with his arm and his legs. Um, but news came down. One of the reasons I thought Nebraska could be good. Now, he was trying to get a waiver through the NCAA. They got a transfer from Eric Gilbert, five-star tight end, to come in. Eric Gilbert, in the last 30 minutes, a story has dropped with a video of him armed robbery, burglary of a vape store in Lincoln, Nebraska of $1,800 worth. And there's a video of him breaking in. You can see it right here. The Kind of the ring camera. I can't start yeah. it right now, yeah. but of him doing that. So that hurts the offense a bit. Yeah. But I'm going to stick with this for this reason. Nebraska was horrid against the Nebraska run is back. a year ago. They're not back. No, they've got this now. I mean, they, well, uh, they, now they've a, got controversy. They're back. My brother-in-law in Nebraska actually said, we're finally back <laughs> when he saw this. This is, this is Tom Osborne era level yeah. Husker tomfoolery that we're dealing with right now. Uh, pun on the word Tom, too. But I, I think Nebraska got a chance to get eight and four. To them, that would be back. They've not had a winning season in six years. Whoa. Six years since they've had a winning season. I think they can get to eight and four. To do that, it really needs to start at Minnesota Thursday night. But they could beat Minnesota at Colorado, Northern Illinois, Louisiana Tech, Northwestern, and Purdue at home and win two of these four. At Illinois, Maryland at home, at Michigan State, Iowa, who they just beat a year ago, at home. I think that's doable. I think combination of Jeff Sims, Malachi Coleman, a five-star freshman receiver who's going to be a big contributor, they can get it done. Nebraska, not back Hutton but back to some level of respectability, and they're going to over-deliver expectations, on expectations this year with Matt Rule. Chad, my pleasant surprise is with Wisconsin. Luke Fickle takes over a six-win program. Do not sleep on the Brooke Badgers is very here. happy about that. Uh, you've got Fickle coming in, excellent coach. Phil Longo at North Carolina, now the offensive coordinator. They bring in uh, quarterback Mordecai from SMU. They are getting away from the run-heavy offense and more of the air raid approach, I think this is going to be a big hit in, in Wisconsin. And I think they start winning sooner rather than later. I think Wisconsin can be this year's version of LSU, where you think they need a year or so, and the new coach comes in, and they hit the ground running with transfers and with the right coaches calling the plays. I'm taking Wisconsin to be the pleasant surprise. And... Uh, they can also be the, you know, the big upset, turn some things upside down in the Big Ten overall 
because I think everyone's penciled in as the best team just top to bottom. You've got Michigan, Ohio State, 1-2, and then Penn State's just automatically mentioned. I think Wisconsin becomes the team that we mention behind Michigan and Ohio State. Shall we get to the disappointments yes. now? Yep. Mel Tucker, huge disappointment. It's a good a year a ago. Good prediction. He's 18 and 14 after three seasons. After that 11 and two year, he got signed to a 10 year, 95 million dollar contract. That was after the 2021 season. That season looks like a mirage right now. He is a defensive coordinator by trade, and his defenses have ranged from mediocre to awful the last few years. He was 101st nationally a year ago in defense. Michigan State was as a defense. They lose Peyton Thorne to Auburn. They lose their top receiver, Keon Coleman, to Florida State. They got some decent transfers in, but I think given this schedule, it's just going to be more disappointment for Michigan State and Mel Tucker. Is he in trouble? Absolutely not. Because of that contract and the buyout, they just got to sort of like Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher, just got to hope if you're a Spartans fan that he figures it out and they get better. I don't think it's going to happen this year. I think this team's going to be disappointing. I think it's going to be a close game Friday night against Central Michigan Mm. to start the season. It it should be. This is not a very good Big Ten team, Michigan State. So it's going to be more disappointment for Mel Tucker. Spread in that game is about the same as Duke and Clemson, for instance, to your point. Chad, uh, my biggest disappointment is Kirk Ferentz at Iowa this season. It's because he wouldn't get rid of his son who's calling plays, Brian. Uh, they did away, he took a pay cut to stay. Uh, nepotism. Took a pay cut to stay, and they did away with that two-year rolling contract. What, uh, there are parameters here, which are not going to be met. The Hawkeyes offense, they have to average at least 25 points per game, and they have to win at least seven games for Brian Ferentz to get back to his two-year rolling contract. So instead of three yards in a cloud of dust and turn it over to the defense that will get the ball back for you on a short field, I think they'll take more chances because they need to average 25 points per game. They're nowhere close to that. Take the under every single week with Iowa and take the under on wins and take the, the, the under on the whatever the odds might be at DraftKings Sportsbook that Brian Ferentz and Kirk Ferentz, for that matter, are back in 2024 based on the decision to just roll it back again with the parameters listed here. 25 points per game. I mean, it, it's like they're turning into the Kansas City Chiefs all of a sudden. You know, they're averaging 13. Tough to get 13. Really I know bad. they're not averaging that bad, but it was rough. Hutton, and they're they're not to, getting close to that. They need to go from a program that has players betting the under on their own team to players betting the over right. on and, their own well, team. Well, they need players betting the under that aren't the kicker because that's all they do is kick field goals, right? Like, defense can bet the under. It's bad. That's betting on yourself yep. in a good way. We're back at it tomorrow. Clay Travis will join us and much more. Hope you will. 3 o'clock Eastern is when we start. Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow across the Outkick Network.